Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior pastor, Dr. Chris Walker. I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're just uh, joining us, we are in the midst of looking at our relationships and how God's salvation changes how we relate to one another. And this morning we're looking at marriage in verses 22 to 33. In fact, uh, we're in the middle of looking at marriage because last week we looked at this passage and saw that the reason that God gives us the calling that He does as husbands and wives is not random. Paul did not just pick up on something from the first century. He has a purpose and a plan, and God's purpose and plan is that husbands and wives might be a picture to the world of the relationship between Christ and the church. And each instruction that Paul gives in this passage, he gives to enable us to fulfill this high calling together for the glory of God. We also saw last week that husbands and wives each fulfill this calling by dying to ourselves for the sake of each other. And only this mutual cross-shaped dying to self will enable us to live Christ-like marriages as He calls us to. But this morning, having seen, if you will, the kind of 10,000-foot view of God's plan last week, we want to look at the details because Paul gives specific instructions to both husbands and wives and how we live out this relationship with each other in order to accurately picture Christ in the church. So let's begin. I hope you have your Bibles or your Bible apps with you, and we'll read again Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. Listen to God's Word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. God, how we thank you for your word. We come each week not with thoughts of our own, but to hear you speak to us. We pray that your spirit, just as you gave these words to Paul, would now speak through them to us, that we might be more like you to the glory of your name. We pray it for Christ's sake. Amen. From age 10, Mary Harrington 
began noticing her father's neglect in the home as he thanklessly assumed that his wife would take care of everything. She would always do the dishes. She would always clean the house. She would do all the care for the kids as he sat back. As she grew through high school and into college, her growing disdain led her to commit to opposing hierarchy in every way possible. So after college, she joined a feminist group. She founded a web startup and organized it non-hierarchically with five co-founders. And she joined an all-lesbian community committed to equality. But as is often the case, ideology and practice don't always go well together. Her web startup failed, weighed down by confusion, conflicting objectives, and tacit power games. That, despite the commitment, led to competing hierarchies among the five co-founders. She quickly found out that the supposedly egalitarian all-lesbian community was actually driven by hierarchy and competition in every way, from the relationships themselves down to who had to do the dishes in the house. And the feminist group came with strings attached, failed to toe the line in every way, and those with the power excommunicated you. In other words, sin led to power and selfishness, just as it does in so many ways. And so she abandoned her efforts. She met a man that she loved and was married. And writing last month, as she reflected on the last few years of her life, she summarized things this way. She said, I have found more peace and more equality, not to mention more freedom from feudal power games and building a home and a family than I ever had in my progressive 20s. Thoughtfully embracing commitment in marriage has proved liberating not restrictive. Of course, sin has sometimes given rise to abuses and injustices which are rightly condemned, but the solution to them is not found in some state of perfect symmetry between the sexes. For this cannot be had. The sexes are not actually interchangeable. This is a well-stated reflection, isn't it? Because the fact is, God's plan for the world, created with wisdom and goodness, includes order and distinct calling in relationships, even equal relationships at every level. And it, it, it starts with Christ Himself. Although the fullness of God dwelt bodily in Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.3 tells us that God was the head of Jesus Christ. And though all believers are adopted siblings and co-heirs with Christ, Scripture tells us that Christ is the firstborn and the head of many brothers in the church. And so it doesn't surprise us at all that marriage falls within this same pattern. Men and women are equally created in God's image and jointly given this task to image Christ in the church. But in that relationship, there is asymmetry or difference in the part that each one plays. As God calls husbands to loving leadership for their wives' sake and wives to joyful submission as strong supports for their, wives say, or their husbands' sake. Of course, this pattern raises many questions. There's plenty of confusion surrounding it, so we want to look at these details this morning. But before I jump into the details, I almost wish that I could ask husbands to plug your ears while we talk to wives. And wives, plug your ears when we talk to husbands. 
Because it's way too easy for us to focus on the calling to the other and all the ways they could do that better than it is to focus on ourselves. And so we have to remember two things as preliminary comment about God's call to us. The first thing we have to remember is that God's calling to wives is a call to wives. Nowhere in all of Scripture does God call husbands or give them the right and responsibility to make sure their wives submit to them. Submission is something that wives freely give to their husbands out of obedience to God. And any attempt from a husband to use this verse to require submission of his wife is unbiblical and authoritarian. Of course, Scripture in the same way also gives a call to husbands, and it's a call to husbands. Nowhere in all of Scripture does God call wives to make sure their husbands love them well. That love is something husbands are called to freely give them out of obedience to God. And any attempt from a wife to use this passage to force love is unbiblical and manipulative. God calls wives to be faithful as wives and husbands to be faithful as husbands. And then the second preliminary comment we have to make is that neither of these calls is conditional. So any comment that ends with something like, well, he was wrong, but if she was just more submissive, it wouldn't have been a problem. Or, well, she's not very submissive, but if he just loved her better, it wouldn't be a problem. Any phrase that ends with that is also unbiblical. Now, of course, Scripture clearly gives protections to a spouse against adultery and oppression, but we have to remember that in this passage, as in many passages on marriage, the focus is on a call to husbands and wives to consider themselves and how they love and submit to each other out of obedience to God. It's not a call to critique your spouse. So that's my preliminary disclaimer. You can choose whether you plug your ears or not, but know that God is calling us to be faithful to him in each way. So let's start by looking at God's call to wives. Paul says, wives, as the church submits to Christ, so you are to submit in everything to your husbands. Now, I think it's very important that we clarify right up front that wives are not to think of their husbands like humans think about God, as something qualitatively different and above them. Rather, it says that wives are to think about the church's relationship with Christ. And the relationship between Christ and the church is that of fellow redeemed siblings under the headship of their elder brother. Wives are to submit to and follow their husbands as redeemed brothers and sisters of Jesus who follow his leadership as their elder brother who died for them and leads them to their salvation and their joint inheritance together. Okay, well, what does that look like? That's still fairly theological and perhaps a little bit abstract. Well, what does this call to submit to husbands look like? I think we can describe it as a road with ditches on either side. On the one side is a ditch that is too passive. Wives are not called to be a doormat. You are not called to just follow in silence. And you are not called to obey as a child obeys its parent. Wives are created to be a strong helper in a one-flesh union with their husbands. The Hannahs, the Abigails, the Jaels, the Lydias, the Priscillas, Proverbs' description of the wise wife, all do not allow for the picture of a passive wife, 
but call you, wives, to active responsibility in your marriage relationship and active ministry and service to the Lord that you may fulfill God's calling together with your husband. In fact, part of my concern is that some husbands in some churches, while giving lip service to equality, do actually have a lesser view of women and leave no space for their input and voice in their marriages and churches. Some churches so separate men and women that the loving mutual partnership in marriage and the church is lost and the door for oppression is left open. So on one side we have to say this ditch of passivity and hyperheadship is unbiblical and a distortion of God's pattern. But on the other side of the ditch is one that so neuters God's call to wives that submit no longer means anything at all. God's call cannot be explained away as a first century expectation because Paul roots it in creation itself. God's call is not just another way of saying, well, we should all submit to one another because God does not call husbands to submit to wives, but wives to submit to husbands. And it can't be reduced to a generally respectful attitude because we should all have a generally respectful attitude to one another if the fruits of the Spirit are evident in our lives. So leveling God's different call to husbands and wives to simple equality and egalitarianism distorts Scripture and it also undermines a marriage's ability to reflect Christ in the church. So what does the road in between these ditches look like? What does God call a wife to do? Well, to submit to another is essentially to come under someone or to bend your will or to willingly adapt to their leadership. And isn't that what the church does for Christ, which is the pattern we're looking at? We come under Him. We bend our will to His leadership. And so God has called wives to live this out in relationship with their husbands in order to be a model of the church's relationship with Christ. Now, Kevin DeYoung summarizes what it means to submit practically with three words. Support, respect, and follow. In the marriage relationship, a wife is called to come alongside her husband and to encourage him and to support him in his leadership, in his work, and in his spiritual guidance of the family. Of course, a wife is called to give input and even pushback where needed, and she may take charge of certain areas as the helper that God has called her to be as they fulfill their joint call together as husband and wife. But the call is to come alongside your husband and encourage him and support him in the things that God has called him to do. A wife is also called to respect her husband, which refers to an attitude that honors him and defends him. I remember when my wife was part of a mops group, mothers of preschoolers, she would come home sometimes and say, you know, sometimes this group just seems like an opportunity for wives to criticize their husbands and talk about all the things that are frustrating to them. We know people who can so easily fall into this, don't we? Our sin is all evident. But that kind of running comment section on our husband's lives and decisions is not respecting a husband. In fact, 1 Peter 3, Peter says to wives, he says, remember Abraham's wife Sarah, who was adorned with beauty that was evident in submitting to her husband and calling him Lord. And the point isn't the title. I would not advocate us adopting the title Lord today. The point is the attitude of respect 
that she had in her relationship with Abraham such that her beauty was described in terms of that character of respect for her husband. And then a wife is called to follow her husband. To follow your husband is to respond to his initiative and to recognize the responsibility that God has given him over you and your family. Now, of course, to follow does not mean to go quietly along with every decision. God has given you as a strong helper to your husband. And so pushback may be necessary. One pastor shares a memory of a a moment of foolish rashness. They were on their way to vacation and he was eager to get there. He was following a rainstorm and they came to a low point in the road where a river of overflowed stream was flowing across the road. And the husband said, no problem, we can make it. And his wife respectfully said, I think we should turn back. And she listed her reasons But he said, nope, we're going for it. So she quietly waited while they moved forward until the water started to flow into the car through the doors, wetting their feet. She turned to him again and said, we need to turn back. And she gave her reasons. And when he said, no, we can make it, and was about ready to push forward, she said, I'm putting my foot down. I am getting out with the children. If you go forward, you will have to do it alone. I will not let you put our family at risk like this. I think that's a great example of a wife playing her strong helper role for the sake of her husband and family. But the principle is that husbands are called to take an initiative in their family, to provide for them and to guide them, to step out and lead their family in obedience to God. And a wife, while responding with her voice and input as part of this one flesh union, should encourage and follow his leadership in this relationship. Uh, So to submit is to support, respect, and follow. Now, you might recognize that this is not overly prescriptive. It doesn't say a wife is not allowed to do these three things and and a husband has to do these six things because in each marriage, this this leading and following is going to work out somewhat differently. In different cultures, it's going to work out somewhat differently. But God has given us this principle to follow. And I think this is a wise, practical guidance. And so, wives, as you think about supporting, respecting, and following your husbands, I wonder if you might ask yourselves some test questions. How quick are you to criticize or disparage your husband? Are you willing to follow his lead when he takes a risk and initiates, especially in the area of spiritual growth? Do you tend to jump to critique his ideas and talk about all the ways they are wrong, Or do you make an effort to encourage him even if you have concerns and wisdom that must be shared? Are you able and willing to continue to honor and respect your husband even in the face of some blockheadedness at times? And perhaps a summary question would be this. Is your response to your husband giving the world a picture of the church's response to Christ? Because that is the essence of your call. So this is how Paul calls wives to die to themselves to fulfill his purpose in marriage. All right, now it's time for wives for you to plug your ears and for us to talk to husbands. Husbands, what does God call you to? Well, husbands, as we see in verse 25 and following, are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ's purpose and mission in life was to sacrifice himself in order to win his bride, to wash her and sanctify her, to nourish her and to cherish her, 
that she might become what God created her to be. And in the same way, husbands are called to live each day with the purpose and mission to give up ourselves in order to love our wives, to win them, to nourish them and cherish them, that they might flourish and become what God has created them to be. Well, husbands, how do we do this? Once again, I think God's call can be described as a road with ditches on either side. On one side is the ditch of passivity. You know, it's a lot easier sometimes for us as men to not lead, to not initiate, and to not take risks. In fact, our sin is so subtle that sometimes we, we can convince ourselves that I'm really sacrificing for my wife and giving her what she wants when really we're just not putting ourselves at risk at all. We're putting the burden on her and going along with her efforts. It's funny how little random moments stick in your mind, and, and I don't know why they do, but as I was thinking about this, I was remembering a time we were driving somewhere, and we came to a place where the highway forked, and I thought we should go one way, and Kate thought we should go another way. And in the split second of decision-making as we approached the, the fork, I thought, I'm going to go her way, because it would be a lot easier to blame her if she's wrong than it would be to take the blame if I'm wrong. And see, husbands, we, you know, we can do this kind of thing all the time and bill it as sacrificing for our wives. It's not. It's capitulating to self-protection. It's not acting in loving sacrifice. So passivity is on one side. On the other side of the ditch, of course, is abusing the leadership responsibility that God has given us by expecting our wives to go along with, ever we, with whatever we want to do. Sadly, this passage in Ephesians 5 has been used to justify abusive and damaging leadership and such as to twist God's Word for self-aggrandizing wickedness. Men, we must be the kind of loving, self-sacrificing husbands that wives will want to follow and be free to follow safely because we are genuinely aiming at her good. Just as we as the church are free and eager to follow Christ because of His sacrificial love for us. So what does that look like practically? Well, Kevin DeYoung again summarizes it in three words. Lead, sacrifice, and care. To lead means to take initiative. Of course, this doesn't mean that all the ideas have to be the husband's or that the husband gets to make the decisions. Every good leader delegates and follows where that is appropriate. Some of you may know the name of John Witherspoon. John Witherspoon was a signer of the Declaration of Independence and also happened to be a Presbyterian pastor. And Witherspoon once wrote, he said, a husband who asks the advice and follows the direction of his wife in most cases because it is actually better than his own in most cases is not a henpecked husband but a wise one. So of course, we seek wisdom. We seek the advice of our wives. But... God has given husbands the responsibility to ensure the well-being of his family, and he has called the husband to initiate and to take the risks of leading to that end. A husband should be fully engaged in the marriage relationship and in the family, evaluating and proposing ideas for their good, regularly willing to take the leading effort to make sure that the family is provided for and growing spiritually. Husbands, we are the one who are supposed to take the first step to take the risk of leading for the good of our families. And perhaps it's worth acknowledging here that 
As men, we can be great at leading and taking the initiative when it comes to activities and hobbies, the kids' sporting events, getting together with the guys, our job, our career, and be pretty much silent at taking initiative and giving energy to lead our families spiritually that we might grow in Christ. And that is failing in God's calling to us as husbands. So we are called to lead, to sacrifice. To sacrifice means to give up aims and desires for my good and to use my energy and intention in ways that will lead to my wife's flourishing and our family's good. Now that may be in little things. That may be going to places you'd not choose to go. It may be in overlooking offenses or complaints. It may be listening when you're tired. It may be giving up a round of golf so that she can be with her friends. Or it may be big things, giving up a job or a career opportunity because of what it would cost your wife and family, or giving it up in order to give proper care and attention to them. Christ gave himself up for his bride, and we men should give ourselves up for our wife and family. And then to care. To care means to love with gentle affection and to protect and nourish our wives. In fact, verses 28 and 29, if you look at those verses, argue that husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies and cherish their wives as Christ cherishes the church. As one pastor put it, a husband should be just as willing to treat his wife harshly as he would be willing to punch himself in the face. I have no eagerness to punch myself in the face But what Paul is saying is that our wives are one body with us, and so we should care for her and nourish her as our own body. A wife should never feel used by her husband, abandoned by her husband, exposed by her husband, rashly accused by her husband, or publicly shamed by her husband. Rather, his whole effort and focus should be to protect her, to love her, and care for her. And note the goal. Just as Christ gave Himself up for her so that we might be washed and sanctified and presented in splendor, so husbands ought to give themselves up so that our wives might flourish and use her gifts and serve Christ as we look ahead to the day when she will be presented to Christ in splendor. And husbands, speaking of caring for our wives, Don't forget the chilling warning that Peter gives us in 1 Peter 3 when he says we are to care for our wives as fellow heirs of the grace of life for the sake of our prayers. Implying that God will not listen to the prayers of a man who is not caring for his wife as a fellow heir of grace. You know, D.L. Moody once remarked that if he wanted to know if a man was a Christian... He wouldn't go and ask his pastor. He would go and ask his wife. He wrote, he said, if a man doesn't treat his wife right, I don't want to hear him even talk about Christianity. Husbands, how would you feel if your wife's honest testimony before the throne of God would determine whether God would listen to you or not? That seems to be the implication of 1 Peter chapter 3. So husbands, I wonder if you would ask yourselves some test questions. 
Do we as men have the humility to ask our wives how we are doing at leading, sacrificing, and caring for them and willingly hear and work at her answer? Would your wife feel safe in giving you a full and honest answer? How are we doing at initiating and leading our family in spiritual growth? Is our goal to nourish and cherish our wife for her sake, not for our sake or to keep the peace, that she might flourish and be all that God has called her to be under our care and protection? And lastly, are we giving the world a good picture of how Christ leads, sacrifices, and cares for His people? That's God's call to husbands. You know, if we think through this call to husbands and to wives, we have to acknowledge that this is extremely countercultural. A call to sacrificially love and joyfully submit to one another, dying to ourselves for each other's sake, does not get a quick hearing today. But that doesn't make this wrong nor do the examples of the sinful distortions that we will see of this pattern make it wrong. No, because this is God's good plan for the ordering and flourishing of marriage and for giving the world a picture of the gospel and the beauty of Christ's relationship with the church. And we should not be embarrassed by what God tells us in His Word. If we are embarrassed by this because it seems at odds with our current cultural position, then we are being embarrassed of God's created plan and call to us to tell the gospel to the world through our marriages. So may we never be embarrassed by God's wise and good plan, even if it is out of step with the general cultural advice around us. But we would also have to add that this isn't just countercultural; this is also extremely counter to our sinful fleshly desires. And how wise of a sovereign God to create marriage in a way that requires mutual self-dying so that our relationship with our spouse can be the sanctifying tool and the most practical daily context in which we grow in Christ-likeness. Because marriage, after all, is not just a death, but also resurrection. We are called to the way of the cross and marriages. And what does the way of the cross look like? It means self-denial and death, but then it means resurrection joy and intimacy and glory. And that is what marriage is a call to. Dying to ourselves that we might know all of the joy and the intimacy that God has created us and called us to know in marriage. But as we hear this call, it leads us right back to perhaps the most important point of all of this. That our ability to live as husbands and wives as God has called us to live is completely dependent upon being filled with God's Spirit and remade in His likeness. Because we do not have the strength to do this in ourselves. And if we're dependent upon God's Spirit, that means that our ability to live as husbands and wives according to God's pattern will ultimately be dependent upon repenting and turning to trust Christ as our Savior, as our head who died for us to wash us and sanctify us and lead us into salvation and present us to Himself in splendor. And so may we all turn to Christ 
If we are married, may we turn to Christ that we might live according to His pattern in our marriage and give a picture of the Gospel to the world. If you are young and have not come to the age of being married yet, may you prepare to live in such a marriage. Prepare by dying to yourself now and living in service to God and to one another that you might live this out in marriage when God gives that to you. And if you are single... May you live in this same self-denying Christ-like pattern, dying to ourselves to serve Christ, to live like He did in a way of the cross, because doing so will also give a picture of Christ to the world so that you may serve Him and fulfill His calling to you as well. And so God's call to all of us is to live this way of the cross to the glory of God, And particularly in this pattern, may we do it that our marriages may be strong, that they might image Christ in the church to the glory of our King. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, our God and Father, how we thank You for this Word that You've given us. Father, we know how quick we are to turn to selfishness, to the ways that would be for our own good. How I pray that You would be at work in us to lead us to die to ourselves, to live in Christ-like service of others to the glory of Your name. But how I pray specifically this morning that You would strengthen our marriages, that You would humble men to sacrificially love and lead their wives and families as Christ loved the church for their good. And that you would enable and strengthen wives to joyfully submit as the strong helpers of their husbands. That together our marriages would give the world a picture of Christ in the church. We ask this for the glory of your name. In Christ's name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.